just a, a reminder, we love to have kids in this service at the family worship table as well. And a way to, a great way to engage kids is like, I would love if they want to not just zone out at this moment, but draw a picture or do some activity that they're actually, what they're listening to, what they hear, that they can put it to pen or paper or something else. I would love to see that drawing after the service. The kids show me what they've learned. And if you're uh, maybe an adult that age that needs your pay attention, do that well. I'd love to see your drawing an adult. I, I'm not joking. Like some people, that's very helpful for to engage uh, in that manner. So whatever helps you to listen uh, in that capacity. A couple of years ago, the Wall Street Journal put out an article entitled, why work out when you can just buy the clothes and look like you did? <laughs> so, amen, right? The article actually explores the growing trend in our society where athletic apparel market that people are buying sports clothes without actually practicing the sport. The, the article actually, it, this is the last five years, that, that 50, it's grown 50% athletic supply wear has grown 50% in sales, uh, driven by a large part by consumers uh, were snapping around in their stretchy tees or their leggings that they will never see the fluorescent lights of a gym. For instance, I just want to, for instance, right, yoga apparel has increased by 45%, yet yoga participation has only increased by 5%. A lot of people out there with the intent of doing yoga without actually doing yoga. And it doesn't just, that's not just, let's not just pick on the yoga uh, participants or, or non-participants in this matter. It's like, uh, the trend is also with outdoor and camping supplies, actually all things, but how many people that increase of flannel or hiking boots in stores where people have no intention actually to go hiking or be outdoors? It's a style or a lifestyle that you want to incorporate in your life without actually doing Here's the point. We have the clothes. Will you exercise in them? <laughs> Will you put the clothes to use for the very purpose in which they were designed? We put on the trappings of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, yet oftentimes we have no intention of actually being like Jesus. We go to church Perhaps we even serve at church. Perhaps we treat people kindly, but in our hearts, we lack peace, joy, and love. Perhaps there's bitterness and resentment building up internally in our lives. Jesus doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't lay down his life, give his life for us and die simply to forgive your sins, to wipe your debt clean. That is not his purpose in life. It's part of it, but it's not the full thing. He actually wants to heal you, restore you, renew you in full. You see, salvation for God is about bringing and restoring you, humanity, to peace, joy, and love. In full, a, a peace and a love and a joy that at times makes no sense in our broken world or makes no sense in your circumstance. This is what God is trying to restore in our lives. You see, Jesus dies for us because he loves us, loves us completely and fully. He loves you. I, I, I cannot express that enough for if someone needs to hear that. He loves you. 
Not because of what you do, but because he loves you. Jesus wants us, wants you to have peace, harmony with him, a wholeness with him, united with him. He wants to be in right relationship with him. This is why he goes to the cross. He, he wants us to be in right relationship with harmony with all of creation and peace with all of his creatures. This is what Christ wants. He, Jesus wants to restore in you joy. A, a, a jubilation that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are adored and cherished. And this is a joy that's not shallow happiness. This is a, a, a joy that you can acknowledge in your deepest grief when the Mariners lose in 18 innings. <laughs> that you can still have the joy of Jesus Christ. That he's still Lord. I know that's silly, but really we do have grief in this world. We have grief in our lives. We have pain in our lives. And in the midst of that, what we learn is we can actually still have joy and be in grief and be sad because we are loved perfectly. Love, joy, peace are gifts of God. Love, joy, peace are gifts of God, that, a God that actually abides with us. Galatians 5.22, we talked about this last week, right? The fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's the one I just like, want to leave out. Gentleness. <laughs> gentleness. Self-control. Those are, those are characteristics of God. Those are fruit of God in our life. Those are, those are things that God wants us to be because that's who he is. And previously, in the, in the verses before, in chapter 14, Jesus tells us he gives us peace. This is, this is his gift. It gives us a peace of not lack of conflict, but he gives us harmony with all things. In John 14, 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, because they will be. Neither let them be afraid. Have my peace in these circumstances. In these verses that we read this morning, and we'll continue to dive deeper in, Jesus further spells out, it's not just peace that he gives us, but joy and love. That these are the gifts of God, joy and love. And, and at the very character of God, at the, the, the fruit of God, that's, it's who he is, love, joy, and peace. This is his character. Let's look farther. You can open up your Bible or your phone if you want on to John 15, 9-7 as we see love and joy as God's gift and his purpose for us. As his gift for us and his purpose for us. John 15, 9. As the Father, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. The command and imperative here is abide in my love. Now we've been talking about this word abide that's happened, that appeared in John 14 as well. Abide, right, is this sense of make your home dwell with. Make your home in the love of God. Make your home in the love of Jesus. Dwell in it. Wherever you are, know, rest, dwell, have peace in Jesus' love for you. How has Jesus loved you? He has loved you 
as the Father has loved you, it says in this passage. He has loved you as the Father has loved you. And note that past tense in this verb, as the Father has loved me, it's not an indication that the love the Father has for the Son is over, right? Well, that's done with. He did love me. No, the, the sense in the language is that it's complete, it's perfected. That the Father has perfect love for Jesus. It's complete, whole, peaceful harmony in that love. The Father loves Jesus perfectly. Eternally, he loves them perfectly in this manner. And so, just as the Father loves Jesus perfectly, Jesus loves us perfectly, eternally, completely, wholly. The love, uh, the love we express and experience each other even in our closest loving relationships, is flawed. It's, it's sin-stained, our love. The Father and the Son have a mutual love for each other, that, that dwelling mutual love for each other. It is a covenant-keeping love. And I'm telling you what, I, I've talked about this before, but this is the greatest form of love, covenant-keeping, which is promise. The Father and Son have a, a promise-making and a promise-keeping love. And that, as we'll find in our lives, is the greatest form of love. Not a love that gets you high and experience of feeling, but a love that is deep down into the commitments. What I say will happen is true, and I will make it happen in my life for you. I will live out the promises I make to you. As the father makes promises to the son, he keeps those promises. As the son makes promise to his father, he keeps those promises perfectly, eternally, forever. And in our lives, when we make promises to each other, that is the greatest form. You see, most people think their wedding day is the day that they get to be married. And for Christians, maybe they get to have sex not in sin. You know what I'm talking about. But here's what the wedding day is really supposed to be focused on. It is a day you actually make promises to each other. Promises of love to each other that are before God, before other people. And the rest of your life is meant to, I'm going to live out my love for you by keeping those promises no matter the circumstance, no matter the moment. That's it. I mean, that's big. That's, this is why we have weddings, is to celebrate those promises to each other, because that's the greatest form of love. Now, you and I know we break our promises, right? And, and we repent and we struggle with our promises, but God is working on us. Jesus is inviting us He's inviting us because he loves us perfectly, makes promises and keeps those promises to us. He's inviting us in a mutual, abiding, dwelling type of covenant-keeping love with him. He says, look, I want to be in this relationship with you, and this is how this relationship works. I make promises, and I keep them, and I'm going to form in you a character just like me where you make promises and you keep them. Abide, make our home is in the perfect, make your home in the perfect, eternal, promise-keeping love of Jesus. That kind of love is transforming. 
That kind of love is actually transforming as we live out discipleship with other people. When we have people that love us in that way or that way as close as possible, that love transforms people. Jesus' love transforms people. It's living. It's creative. Jesus loves and creates in us an ability to reciprocate that kind of love towards him and towards others. Only, only when he loves us in that capacity can, can we actually then begin to reciprocate that love to others and to him. We don't have the capacity in ourselves to love this way. Jesus loves, gives us the ability to begin to love him back. And that love, another way we will say it, it is a fruit-bearing love. Just as God's love is fruit-bearing, it bears fruit in our lives. And so can our love, when we abide and dwell in his love, transform others. The context of all this is, uh, right, in just the passage we read earlier last week, right, abide in Jesus, abide and abide, and when you abide in Jesus, you abide in his love, the vine produces fruit in his branches when you abide in his love perfectly. Verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This is not if you, uh, uh, this is not saying it sounds like it. If you love me, you will be obedient. It's not what it's saying. It's saying our obedience is the result of mutual love. Our, our, our obedience to God is a result of mutual love, right? God's love first transforms us so that we learn to love him and then there's this mutual love. God always loves us, but then he's transformed us to actually love him. And so we know love is not just words. I love you. No, love is actually action. You actually actually do actions of love to people that you have. I would say it this way. Love is actually actions that are fruit, fruit which is outward producing of inward health. Fruit is outward producing of inward character. It's re- revealing what that character in you is towards other people. We love and therefore obey Jesus because he loves us. And, and, and he compares it to this. When you love and obey Jesus, it's compared to Jesus loves and obeys the Father. This is what he's comparing it to. It's like, why? Because Jesus and the Father share a perfect mutual abiding love. That's the only way that we actually can obey and love. It's because he's saying, look, it, I've modeled this for you. This is eternal. This is how it it only can be. Jesus loves us because the Father loves him. Are you following this? Jesus loves us because the Father loves him. Let's go to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be filled. The ground for all of this mutual love is actually that joy may swell up in us. Jesus wants us to be joyful. There's no promise that your circumstance in life will ever be changed. But your character will be. And Jesus promised, I want to give you my abundant, full, complete joy, which only is a result of my love. Jesus loves us perfectly and eternally, so that we can have a perfect and eternal 
peace with him so that we may have full, a perfect, eternal joy in that love. No matter what moment we are, we can know that we have joy, that God loves us. The God of the universe, the, the Lord and creator and sustainer of all things loves us completely. And all of this is for our best. All of this is a gift not earned. All of this is not just a future promise. Look at, hey, one day you'll have peace. One day you'll have that love. One day you'll have that joy. It's actually a promise that can be experienced in part now. You and I can experience in part now the perfect love, the perfect peace, and the perfect joy. We can experience that love, joy, and peace of God right now in this hate-filled, grief-stricken world of chaos. That's what Jesus is saying, is that you can experience it right now. So how do we obey? Or can I say another word? How do we put love in action towards God? How do we put love in action toward God? Because we can say we love God, but how do we actually live out that love? How do we complete our joy, which is what Jesus is saying, is that that love will complete your joy by living, out, by living in God's love. No, 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 I said that. By living in God's love, by acknowledging and accepting that God loves you in this way. Verses 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is obedience to God. Love is obedience to God. Obedience might not be love to God, but love is obedience to God. R.C. Sproul talked about his graduate professor and told him this, the essence of Christian theology is grace, God's gift, what God does. The essence of Christian ethics, morality, is gratitude, when we actually experience God's love for us, it's creative, it returns, it reciprocates love for him, and therefore we are grateful. We are grateful. The grace of God is love for us. The gratitude for God's love is actually love for him. Not just in words, but in actions. I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. And notice how Jesus says, hey, no greater love is, is, is not this than someone laid down his life for this. Why is it great, no greater love than that? Because Jesus makes a promise in Scripture from the very beginning of sin, says, I will fix this problem. And then all the Bible goes, shows how he's fulfilling this promise. And he fulfills this promise at the cross. Greater love is no one than this, that someone makes a promise, fulfills that promise. Regardless of the action of that person. The Father and Son have this mutual abiding love that overflows in love. That this mutual abiding love is so powerful, it overflows out of their love to each other. And what it's creative. And it's so it overflows into their love for us because they love each other so much. It's so overfilling. Their, their cup overflows. It flows into our love for us. When we actually abide in God and that mutual love, that love overflows just like it overflows with the Father and the Son. And it actually creates what? Not just love for God, 
But as we learn, what are the great commandments? Love God, love our neighbor, right? The way we actually express our love for God is actually how we love everyone else. Now, you just don't turn a blind. You recognize that this is actually how I'm loving God. But that love, this love of God overflows into loving everyone else. Verses 14 through 15. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now you may be thinking, wait, wait a second. Does Jesus only uh, lay down his life for his friends? Yes. But what does it mean, friends? Because this... We talked about this in Sunday school, like this word friends carries a lot of baggage with us, doesn't it, because of our cultural context. Here's actually what this word explicitly means. Jesus lays down his life for his loved ones. That's what this word is, for his loved ones, this brotherly love. Jesus lays down for those, the ones that he loves. Well, of course, that's who he lays down his life for to the ones that he loves. It's not conditional. He's not saying, you are my friends, and you will, he's not saying, you are my friends, if you do what I command. He says, you are my friends, and because you are my loved ones, because my love changes you by the very nature of my creative love, you will do what I command, because you will abide in my mutual love, and obeying my commands is not obligation. It's actually want and love. Because I want to love you this way. Because I, I love you. And he explains it clearly, right? He differentiates friends and servants. You are no longer my servants. What do servants do? Servants do what they are told to do. If you are living in your relationship with God and like, I'm just going to do what he tells me to do because he tells me to do it. You are living as a servant and not as a loved one. There's a difference. What, what is he, he actually explains it here, right? It's not out of obligation, but because you are deeply and intimately loved by God, his friends, right? You, what does he do? He actually informs you. He doesn't just tell you, this is what you ought to do. He informs you of his thinking by the very nature of this passage, and to enjoy the confidence of the intimacy of the relationship. Think about what it just says. I have made known to you, my friends, my loved ones, I'm actually explaining this all to you. I'm not just dictating this to you. Go do this. I'm actually explaining who I am, who you are, I'm creating you to be. I'm explaining love to you. And in verse 11, it says, I have spoken. I mean, I am communicating to you. This is what this book is. This Bible is God's voice revealing who he is to us. Because by the very nature, without this self-revelation of God, you would never know who he is intimately. He said, I want you to know you intimately. I want you to know me intimately. And so, we are as loved ones. So loved ones, loved ones reveal themselves to each other. Intimate self-revelation of himself is love. Intimate self-revelation is love. You don't do that with a servant. Let's, let's put this practically. Um, 
people can know you, but they really know you when you begin to be willing to reveal yourself to them. Now, you should not go reveal yourself intimately and deeply to everyone. People will harm you. But when you know you are loved, and when you love that person, you express that love by intimately revealing things about you. This is actually, uh, just because of who I am, a struggle in my life. Because I internally process, it takes me a long time to actually begin, even to my wife, hey, this is what I've been thinking about for a long time. Like this kind of deep, intimate thought. It can be like not even relating to our relationship, but just deep, like, oh, I actually should share that to the person that's most closely to me, right? And when I do, it's an expression of love to her that I've shared it with you. When you begin to reveal yourself, your thoughts, your personalities, your struggles, all that, what you're saying is, I love you. God does this with us. He begins to reveal, this is how the world works. This is who I am. I want you to know me. And I want you to know me on a deeper level. Uh, It's the same way with parents. Parents, we do not want to just dictate orders to our children because they are not our servants. Now, there are times and moments where we do dictate an order or like command, just get this done. But we always want to create opportunity and time and space, usually beforehand, to explain. This is why. This is why we have chores. Or this is why we do this. And as they get older, when them, they can actually have a dialogue with you more and actually... Uh, challenge or improve and all those kind of things like that actually is a great way to grow together because you love them you don't want obedience for the obedience sake you want obedience because obedience really is love because eventually if you don't love you will not obey trust me you will not obey because you break all kinds of laws in this world because you don't love the government enough self-included. But God loves us that he's willing to explain, inform, and tell us. We are so loved by God that he wants you to know him and he wants you to know his character. He wants you to know his actions, which are his fruit, and he wants you to know love, joy, peace, because that's who he is, and that's what he does. That's his very character, and that's how he lives out. Verse 16, Jesus goes on to say, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is a clear statement. God chose us. This does not mean we didn't utilize our will to say that I love God or express faith, but it's saying first, God chose us. This is the very nature of the gospel of grace, that God first loved us. We would have no capacity to love God. God first chose us to reveal himself to us. We couldn't find out that unless he loved us. God first chose us to reveal to us who he is, how he loves us, and then by the very nature that created love, we were able to respond in love to him by our will and our ability, which he creates in us. God chose to love us. We don't choose to love God, and then he loves us. That is so important. We don't choose to love God, and then he loves us. He loves us first. 
1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows us his love for us why we were still sinners. Why we were still enemies opposed to him. God chose to love us, and listen to this, and then he appointed us. He appointed us. He's given us a purpose. Did you hear that purpose? To abide in his love and to bear fruit. Abide in his, abide in his mutual love, and by that very nature, it will bear out his character, which his love produces in us. And what is that character? Generally speaking, love one another. We can even broaden it out even more. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus loves us with a perfect, eternal love so that we might actually have a perfect and eternal peace with him now that we can begin to experience right now so that we might actually have a perfect and eternal joy that we can begin to experience right now in our lives. You see, love, joy, and peace are the fruit of God. You heard them. It's the first three things in the fruit of God in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace are the fruit of God. Not all the fruit. And love, joy, peace, because of the very nature of the fruit of God, is the character of God. It's who God is. It's his, his character is his righteousness. Love, joy, peace is his righteousness. I started this with the imagery of clothes, right? And uh, the Bible has an interesting, lengthy theme of clothes throughout from beginning to end. At the very beginning, uh, Adam and Eve were naked and, and kind of symbolically before God, right? Just exposed, right? They just knew each other intimately. And then they sinned and they realized they're in shame that they, they tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves, right? And, but, and then God is kicking them out of the garden for their own good. But does God let them go with the clothes that they made? No. He says, those clothes are not adequate. And God makes clothes for them. He clothes them. And here's the thing but clothing in ancient Egypt or culture, clothing is a symbol of inheritance. That I belong to the one who clothes me. I belong to my father. Even I, as I'm kicked out into the wilderness of my life, even when I kicked out of the garden, I still belong to God. I mean, even in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, when we get the, the son bring, when he comes back after he's squandered all in his inheritance, he comes back to the father, and the father puts on his greatest cloak. And what the thing was, in that cloak, in that time period, was actually the uh, coins and the inheritance was actually sewn into the hem. It's a symbol like, you get your inheritance back. You're still my son. It's throughout the whole Bible, this, this imagery that God clothes us with his inheritance, that we belong to him. Isaiah 61.10, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Extending that metaphor. What are those garments of salvation? We even get in, in Ephesians 6, where we talk about the armor of God, right? This metaphorical, uh, metaphorical armor of God, the, the blessed prate of righteousness. What is, what is righteousness? His very character. Yeah, God clothes us with his character, the breastplate of righteousness. This is what he does in salvation, that he begins to change us, clothe us, to belong to his very character of his children. That we belong to him and to no one else. God chose us because he loves us. 
God chose you because he loves you. God clothes us with his righteousness, his own character, because he loves you. He doesn't give you these clothes just for you look good. Now, man, don't I look good in the righteousness of God? Check me out. Pretty holy. He gives us these clothes, this very character, to exercise it, to live it out. He gives us love, joy, and peace to live it out, not just internally experience it. He gives us love so we can love others, so others can see what love is, so others can know who God is. He gives us joy so others can see what full, true love is in this sin-stained, grief-sticking, painful world so they can know the God of joy. He gives us peace so others can know what is true peace is in this world of chaos and so they can know the peace that makes no sense, the God that makes no sense in this world. God has given you clothes. God has given you his character. Exercise it. Live it out today. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly God, sometimes I, I can get lost in the things I'm supposed to do instead of your love. I get sidetracked in, in the task at hand and whether I'm being obedient instead of your love, instead of your grace. Remind us all to abide in your love each and every day and each and every moment. And when we wander off, to come back, to realize that, it, that, that this love that you have for us is life-changing, character-changing, transforming us to be more into your character and who have you designed us to be. Lord, you, you have given us this character not because we merited it, because you love us. Help us today to learn to live out, to exercise in these clothes of righteousness that you give us, in this very character that you have given us. Remind us tomorrow to do it as well too, but always in your love. Because without your love, without abiding in your love, none of it is possible. We give you thanks for your grace and your love. And all God's children said, amen. amen.